Hello, Sat Stackers, and welcome to a special episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. Today, we will be doing our first ever interview, and we will be speaking with Gabe, the proprietor of Good Beans Coffee Shop in San Salvador, El Salvador. He's been making quite a name for himself shipping El Salvador's famous coffee all over the world. But you might know him best from Twitter, or X, as the guy who pops up anytime anyone says, well, you can't use Bitcoin to buy a cup of coffee, and replies, oh, yes, you can. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. So I have Gabe with Good Beans El Salvador with me today. And if you aren't familiar with Good Beans, you need to follow him on Twitter. They're uh, at Good Beans The on Twitter. And they sell El Salvador. You say, so I've always said Salvadoran my whole life. Um, but then I was listening to uh, Simply Bitcoin and uh, mm-hmm. Nico and Opti keep calling people from El Salvador Salvadorians. Is that correct also? Or is that a... I've said Salvador in my whole life as well, so I think that's like that, that's the correct one. But um, like I've heard a lot, you know, some people even say El Salvadoran, which I think that's uh, maybe a little bit longer. <laughs> but uh, but I've said Salvadoran as well my whole life, so cool with that one. <laughs> All right, Salvadoran. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't offending anybody. Um, our podcast has a uh, well, fifty five percent of our listeners are in the United States, which makes sense. I'm in the United States, but. Um, about 40% are Central and South America. We have uh, a lot of listeners in Venezuela, Colombia. Uh, so that, that's really cool. So I didn't want didn't to do any faux pas. I just lost. Did, did I just get orange looking to you? My lights just kind of flickered. A little bit. Yeah, I wonder what's up with that. I've just been having fits with this lighting. I'm just going to roll with it, I guess. All right. So um, I wanted to ask you about your business. And um, first of all, how long ago did you open... Uh, the good beans so the good beans been open for about um close to two years now close to two years we started on i don't know if you remember that little kiosk in Ocuscatlan, uh, which yeah. is like the suburb of san salvador um but we've been in our current location now for um about four months four and a half months now um, like we're in city proper now but uh, right, the I, whole business is about two years old i saw that uh yeah a couple months ago you were posted a whole bunch of pictures of a new shop i wasn't sure what the story with that was if you were just moving into a bigger location a better location uh you were in a suburb of san salvador yeah both right now we're actually like like uh, in the middle of the city like um in a neighborhood called san benito which is um you know it's basically like the most lively neighborhood in san salvador you have um, a lot of the nightlife a lot of the good restaurants a lot of the great coffee shops they're all located in this neighborhood so um whereas before we used to be in like a little strip mall outside of the city and then the suburbs so it's definitely been a big change it used to be a little kiosk now it's like it's a small store but it's an actual like store so people can come here you know and not only enjoy like a cup of coffee but um you can you know people come for meetings people come for lunch people come for different things uh whereas before it was basically just takeaway because again it was a little kiosk that's awesome uh 
So what made you decide to open a coffee shop? My first job ever um, was actually as a barista. So ever since then, that was in 2009. Um, so ever since then, I kind of like wanted it. I uh, wanted to have like a coffee shop. There's this Canadian guy here who his name is Ben. He owns a coffee shop called literally it's, it's, it's Ben's Coffee, but it's one of the like, uh, like the pretty good ones here in the city. And uh, ever since I was like, you know, 16, 17, um, I, I'm 32 now, uh, just to give you an idea. But um, when I was like 16, 17, I used to go to this coffee shop because I always liked the idea of coffee. I always enjoyed it. And I always knew like El Salvador had pretty good coffee. Um, my first job just happened to be in coffee. That actually was in Switzerland um, wow. in 2009. And um, ever since then, and you know, that's that's kind of like where it, what it all kind of started because in Switzerland, you could not get good coffee. You just couldn't. Uh, <laughs> at least back then, I don't know, maybe things have changed. They pretty much, I'm, I'm sure they have, but uh, at least back then, everything you could get was just like very commercial, very dark roast and very bitter coffee. So my mom used to like uh, send me care packages and they consisted of like this Ben's coffee that she shipped through El Salvador mail to me in Switzerland. And um, funny because, you know, here we are like a decade and a half later, and that's basically what I do. I stick El Salvador coffee in the mail. <laughs> and I figured, you know, because um, it worked back then, like my mom, it was just like a care package situation, but she grabbed a bag of coffee, you know, put it in a box, tip it over to me. Um, and uh, I guess now it's a business <laughs> that I'm doing. That's awesome. that. <laughs> well, congratulations. Your coffee is fantastic. I've ordered for me a couple times. As I mentioned earlier, I, I was on the road for several months. So the last time I ordered was like May. Uh, so I was going to grind up. I have just a tiny bit of the Torgos. Mm -hmm. How do you pronounce it? Um, yeah, Torgos. Torgos is the, I guess the, the label has changed a little bit, but that's it. It's the national bird of El Salvador. Um, and um, it's a bird that I guess its main characteristic, like, like a lot of birds that cannot uh, live, uh, you know, in captivity. Like, Torgos needs to be free or it dies. Like, if you cage a Torgos, it'll just refuse to eat and it'll die. Um, so I guess that's, uh, you know, it's one of the, the those freedom values that um, characterize the bird. And that's why uh, um, it's the national bird here. It's, it's a small bird. It's about yay big. Um, so, you know, it's not like a big bald eagle or anything. But uh, that's what uh, gives the name to, to our coffee. And it's very colorful. And it lives in... You know, you can see it here in the city sometimes, but uh, it pretty much lives in a lot of these uh, coffee areas. It actually burrows holes. It doesn't nest like it, it doesn't build a nest. It like burrows holes into things and uh, makes its own little little home that way. Like in the ground uh, or in a tree or in the ground, in the ground. Yeah. Or like right. the sides of cliffs, that, that sort of thing. It's actually here. There's, um, you know, Mayan pyramids and a lot of them like they had to be. Uh, they had to put like these coverings on them um, in order to keep the Torogos from like, digging into them. Cause yeah, they don't do it on trees. They, they kind of like do it on the ground. They like, like the side of mountains, the side of cliffs, or in this case, you know, the side of a Mayan pyramid to go in there and nest. <laughs> I was going to ask you about the Mayan culture in El Salvador, because uh, normally when I hear about the Mayan culture, of course you hear about Tulum mm -hmm. um, in, uh, and, uh, and yeah, a lot of the stuff in the, in, in, in uh, Quintana Roo uh, and Costa Maya and Guatemala. Uh, but I mean, obviously, it's, I mean, you border Guatemala, right? To the yeah. south. 
So if they're in Mexico, if the if the pyramids were in Mexico and Guatemala, I'm assuming that there's there would be pyramids there as well. I mean, this is a major tangent. Obviously, it doesn't have anything to do with coffee or Bitcoin. Yeah. But when I uh, when I toured some of the archaeological sites last year, uh, I saw some of the pyramids, and those were thousands of years old. And then like Tulum is only like a couple hundred years old, and there weren't any pyramids. It was way, it was really more modern. It almost looked like a Roman city with like columns. And, uh, you know, there were, there were like some pyramid, it was like a pyramid shaped temple, uh, right up along the, the coast where they had their, their re religious festivals, but, uh, they, there weren't any pyramids. So are most of the ruins, uh, the archeological sites in El Salvador, um, are they, are they the older, the pyramid type ruins or, or do you, do you. So, um, they look a little bit differently, but you have two main kinds. So in El Salvador, you had, um, two like Mayan cultures, depending on which side of the country you're on. So there's like a big river called the Lempa river, which divides El Salvador in half and the Eastern side, well, the Western side of that. So El Salvador, Guatemala, Mexico, that's all like, um, you have the, the Maya people culture. So you have that, those kind of ruins, you do have the pyramids, um, and on the opposite side of El Salvador, so the Eastern side, so you know, from the Lempa south, if you will, going on the direction of Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica. Uh, you have the Lenca culture. Um, so, you know, basically you have uh, two kinds of, um, two different kinds of Maya culture in El Salvador. Um, but you do have the pyramids and you do have, um, you know, you also have, because um, we have a lot of volcanoes and I guess this, this kind of ties into Bitcoin and everything. Uh, we have a lot of volcanoes, so you have one of the main archaeological sites here, which is um, Hoya de Sereng, and uh, I'll send you a photo of it, but it basically it was like a normal, you know, everyday Mayan village, which kind of like with Pompeii, it was uh, covered in like a volcanic uh, ash and everything during one of the explosions. Um, so it's totally preserved. That's one of the ones that Toro was actually like to dig into. Um so you have everything, you know, you do have the big pyramids. Um, they're not like pointy like the Egyptian ones. They're very like stepped. Um, but I'll send you photos of that. And you do have other kinds of other kinds of sites, like, for example, like that one, like Hoya de Sereng, which is just like a Mayan village, which happened to be preserved. So it's kind of like Pompeii in that sense. They do call it the Pompeii of the Americas. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And um, that's that's basically why it got like preserved. But you have, you know, different kinds. All right. Well, that leads me into something else I was going to ask you about. Mm -hmm. uh, I noticed your website, you've expanded your product offering. Uh, when I first started buying, it was just, you had a couple varieties of coffee, um, all whole bean. And then mm -hmm. you, I saw you added pour over packs, but then I also saw you have uh, your Kawadi hot chocolate and you have an event coming up in October, a uh, cacao workshop. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, that's a traditional Mayan thing. Um, so um, I didn't, I, you know, I, I don't know a whole lot about El Salvador. I know a little bit about El Salvador. I'm a little bit older than you are. In the in like 1978, my next door neighbor had an exchange student from El Salvador, and uh, she was awesome. Um, and then that's right about the time things went really bad. Um, I guess the revolution or civil war in your country. And so yeah, pretty had, much from eight to nine. She had to go home early, but um, but for a while she was teaching me Spanish and teaching me a lot about El Salvador. And then just kind of El Salvador became like a black hole. You know, nobody, nobody went, nobody went to El Salvador. Nobody, if you thought about El Salvador, all you thought about was just crime. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then in like the nineties, MS-13, the gang members in Los Angeles uh, became a big thing and everybody was calling them, you know, an El Salvadoran gang. I'm like, these are LA gang members. You know, they're speaking English and they're, they're, uh, 
but that's all Americans knew about uh, for the most part was was just the violence and apparently that's radically changed uh, in the in the last couple of years. Um, so it's really cool to see that that nonsense is over with. I've never heard from her again. I hope hope I hope her and her family is fine. But uh, that was decades ago. Um, so you opened your business about two years ago, and does that uh, again? The current president Nayib Bukele has been in office for four years. He's up for re-election this next year, so three years. Um, so the here the terms are five years. So okay. um, he's coming up for re-election on. Uh, the 24th. February. February is yeah. the elections. So he's been four years now. And he gets a lot of credit over here for, for the, the turnaround in your country. Obviously, I mean, he's a, he's the president. He's, you know, like we have our president and he, he, he makes speeches and he can sign legislation and he can propose legislation. But he's not the one cleaning up neighborhoods and building businesses. Uh, so, but it really does seem from an outsider, like, like when he got elected, that was a huge turning point. Uh, maybe it's just because I started hearing about El Salvador again. Um, when did when did El Salvador start to shake its its reputation as just a really violent um, place that Americans wouldn't want to travel to? Because now I want to go, and all my friends want to go. And I didn't even I wanted to go because I wanted to try the coffee because I'm a big coffee fan. And uh, and hearing about El Zonte and the surfing, I don't I don't really surf. Um, I've, I've surfed. I've been on a surfboard a few times, but I wouldn't say I qualified as surfing. Uh, but I wanted to see that. I wanted to see the Torgos because I'm really into birding. Um, but uh, now I'm really interested in seeing some of those Mayan sites as well. So I'm going to have to spend quite a bit of time there when I go there. But when did is is this big turnaround just a Hollywood thing, or or was was or has there really been a, a dramatic shift uh, in in just the whole feeling and the nature of living in El Salvador? All right, so um, I guess to start uh, at the beginning, since we we discussed uh, quite a few of these things. Um, all right, so like you mentioned, essentially we had, you know, your friend was there in the late 70s. That was still, um, Salvador was still pretty safe back then. Um, essentially, we did have that, um, that's our civil war was from 1980 to 1992. I was actually born in 91 January so you know I was born on the tail end of it Good I didn't timing. Yeah I didn't get to live it but um That's I mean cool. a little bit you know obviously but peace accords were signed in 92 and the uh, part of the whole deal was um before it used to be like a military police and it got turned into a civil police um a civilian police um and uh, during that time so the whole state security forces if you will were um disarmed and uh, they started with this new uh, civilian police right around that time basically though bill clinton started deporting a lot of these gang members from la so it's people who were um so basically the story is some of them were salvadorans and what happened was they left el salvador during the civil war and then they went to la and here they joined with like mexican gangs and everything but, you know, at the end of the day, they were pretty much controlled over there, at least at that point, by, you know, the the police and the FBI and all the, the state forces, right? They kept them under check. But when they were deported here, um, they found a place that literally had, like, pretty much no police. Um, and they was just coming out of the Civil War. So they start coming in here in the, you know, late mid to late 90s. 
And up until like the early 2000s, it, it was an issue, you know, but it was not like a super heavy crime society even then. But say from 2005 to 2016, 17-ish, uh, that's when it really got out of hand. And, um, you know, all these kids that were deported from L.A., they, they really had no background in El Salvador. A lot of them didn't even have family here anymore. A lot of them didn't even speak much Spanish here. Uh, but they came from, like, small-time little gang members in L.A. to a society that uh, was, you know, it was definitely not ready for that. And um, they found that even though they were under police control over there, they came here to a place where they could literally get away with anything. And it just started growing as a problem. It became worse and worse and worse and worse. And like small business owners were extorted. A lot of the, most of the violence you hear about, uh, a lot of them did touch, obviously, the civilian population in El Salvador. Uh, but a lot of the murders and everything was gang on gang. So if you as a tourist, you were to come here like, you know, 10 years ago, you probably would not have had any issues. Uh, but people are just not coming because of, you know, they, they heard, oh, El Salvador is like the most dangerous country in the world, which uh, statistically it was at one point. Uh, it was a lot of like gang on gang violence, like the civilian population who lived in conflict areas were, you know, the worst hit with this. Uh, there was extortion of small businesses. So a lot of like, kind of like a lot of what you saw, you know, like Chicago in the 30s, you know, gang uh, that gang activity, you know, there, there was extortion, there was all these big problems. Starting with, like, probably, you know, and this comes with the current administration, a lot of that really went down. Um, it had started, like, slowly. I think the worst of it was around 2015, 16-ish. Um, through different means, it started going down a bit, um, but really it wasn't until, like, you know, two two three years ago where you would saw like a very significant drop on all the crime statistics um up until now that um i mean you know it's like we went from having um days with 15 20 murders um to most days there are really none anymore so for a lot of people it's been like a night and day situation like if you were a you know, an everyday common Salvadoran who lived or had a small business in a very gang uh, con uh, conflictive area. Oh, it was like a night and day thing for you. Like a lot of these people had to pay extortion for decades, probably, you know, it started like it started like not much. Eventually it got like ridiculously bad. So people could not invest like a lot of the companies like to give you an idea, like the cable company. They were areas in El Salvador where, you know, the, the cable or ISP providers. Um, they had customers that they just couldn't charge because they just couldn't disconnect their services from like, um, you know, like it, it got to that point uh, where there were areas where like, you know, you order a pizza and the pizza hut guy would tell you, OK, I'm not actually we're not delivering it to your home. Uh, we can take it, you know, within a few blocks or whatever to this. We, we can, you can pick it up at the gas station in the corner to give you an idea. Right. A lot of that has uh normalized now um so as always as in any country really the, the the worst part of the situation happened to like the people uh who are the most vulnerable who are the poorest who lived in the worst neighborhoods like like anywhere else um obviously in el salvador like if you were uh, 
you know, if you were wealthy, you could live a very safe life during this whole time. Um, but at what cost? You lived in a gated community. You had, you know, private security uh, covering the, the community. You did have razor wire around the house. There were areas where you simply would not go to. Um, and I think that's how it mo mostly would have affected, like, say you were visiting here as a tourist. Um, but most people would not even risk it. You know, like if you if you were you would did not visit El Salvador like the tourism here um has grown from like a few brave surfers here and there that used to come you know because the beaches for the most part they were fine uh but the country had such a negative reputation that people would just not visit it I would still argue that for the most part tourists would probably have been safe even back then but people just wouldn't risk it you know it's like it's like if someone were to tell you oh you know for like visit colombia in the late 80s most tourists are fine uh, probably most tourists were fine but you just would not be risking it right you were like um people yeah, there's certainly cities in, there's certainly cities in the united states where I, there's large swaths where you just don't go i mean i i i mean i again i'm just hearing what i hear on on online on twitter on twitter x or reddit or, or from people like you, but uh, I'd feel safer going to visit you in El Salvador than I would feel in most of Los Angeles. So, uh, crazily enough, like I have a friend who just visited. She's a friend from high school and she lives, you know, in California. She lives in, um, I think it's called Brea, but it's around LA. Yeah. Um, and um, she's telling me, you know, like we were joking that, uh, that it's kind of crazy that I would feel, you know, I park on the street here. And I know my car is going to be fine. Like, probably my worst concern is that someone will, like, uh, not not even break into the car. It's not even, like, a concern. My worst concern would be, like, it's going to sound stupid, but here that's always happened. It still happens. But, like, the logo for your car, like, the emblem, people just oh, yeah. steal them. Because, you know, it takes five seconds to do and you can get 20 bucks out of it. Um, that's probably my worst concern. But I would it would not be a concern to me like i see these videos of like people you know in san francisco they tourists leave their car you know with their belongings and like it's like insane it's like it seems every tourist car gets broken into in san francisco so it's yeah. it, it's kind of crazy in that way so we were joking that um at least in a lot in a lot of these situations she feels like safer here when she's visiting and she grew up here you know she we, we all lived through the the worst of the violence here in different a different extent you know at, at coming you know and this is coming from like a person that um had a pretty privileged position in this sense because i was never personally extorted or anything so um like the only time i've been mugged in my life was not in el salvador it's actually in new york city <laughs> to give you an idea um but you could not escape from it like you still were there were areas where like you just would not go to you kept you know you were driving you know you were at a, a traffic light or whatever a stoplight and you were constantly looking out you know you, you you had your windows rolled up you had your locks on your car put on again did anything particularly bad happen to me no but you were it was kind of like this paranoid state that okay something might um like i walk around town a lot more than i used to um 
I walk around town using my phone, you know, uh, which is something that I mean, I, five years ago, I probably would have not have done like um, yeah. walking around downtown San Salvador, you know, like on your phone um, five years ago, even I would have told you don't um, I would have told you don't even go downtown. Uh, don't walk around with your phone and with every with, with that kind of thing out. Um, and now I even do it. And it's kind of like kind of crazy in that sense, because it's it's very much like the small things, but um, for me, it's like the small things, but for a lot of people here in El Salvador, it's literally been like a night and day change where they were like, you know, well, they were like prisoners of their own home and they're not anymore. That's certainly more. uplifting. I mean, you never want to see anybody living in fear or poverty or crime anywhere, uh, yeah. let alone, you know, we, we have a special place in our heart for El Salvador as Bitcoiners because, you know, the because when you adopted Bitcoin two years ago as a legal tender. And speaking about Bitcoin, I guess I've, I've used up half our time here and talk mostly about the Mayans and crime and no no coffee or Bitcoin. So real quick, I want to ask you about Bitcoin. It seems like uh, the adoption of Bitcoin, it coincides with the reduction in crime. Maybe Bitcoiners like to think it had something to do with it, but it's, uh, you know, it, it, maybe, it, maybe, uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's just timing. How much of an impact has the, uh, has making Bitcoin legal tender had on El Salvador uh, or the, the lives of an average Salvadoran in general? I would argue that maybe for like the average Salvadoran it hasn't been like a huge impact um, to be very honest with you. Um, it's look, a lot of people think speaking about Bitcoin in El Salvador, um, is it legal tender? Yes. Um, but there has been obviously challenges coming with that. Um, and I don't think like the adoption has been as great as a lot of people expected it to be or as fast as a lot of people expected it to be. Having said that, you know, we're like two years on. Um, El Salvador's Bitcoin adoption is greater than anywhere else on the planet. I mean, by a long shot, obviously. Um, and, you, you know, I can pay a lot of things with Bitcoin. Can I pay absolutely anything I want in Bitcoin in El Salvador? Um, no. Uh, which is maybe some of the misconception that a lot of people have. I think it's been like great for a bunch of things. Um, tourism being one of them. Like you do get all these conferences, you do get all the investment into the country. A lot of people, like I know people that have come to El Salvador to live because of Bitcoin. Like there's like this um um this Canadian family who just uh, moved in really close to us and they came to El Salvador to live because of Bitcoin. And Justin Trudeau. <laughs> so, you know, there's like a big push and pull factor. Um, but yeah, I think like um, the adoption here is greater than anywhere else by a long shot. And you can use it certainly a lot more in El Salvador by a long shot. Um, but I still don't see like the average Salvadoran using it in, in, in his or her daily life. I think like the main thing is like, it's been a bear market, so we must not forget that, right? So, like, a lot of these, like, most Salvadorans did not know about Bitcoin before. They were introduced to it, and they got, like, the very tail end of, like, a bull market. And then they, like, the whole experience with Bitcoin has been, like, bear market for, like, a long time. I was going to say, um, when I heard that El Salvador was adopting Bitcoin, I figured it wasn't really going to go anywhere until... The next having the next the mm -hmm. bear market because nobody's had a chance to benefit from the whole number go up thing, um, and I 
I'm really hopeful that, you know, that we get another four-year cycle that we have to having in, in April of next year and then six months or uh, or or a year from then, Bitcoin's, who knows what it's worth, 100,000, 200,000, the sky's the limit, right? Uh, and then I think people will start, it'll start clicking because most people that I know get into Bitcoin, they get into it because they, they want to make money off it at first. Yeah. You know? they, haven't, they haven't learned about it. Most people aren't coders or cryptographers that are looking at it from a technology perspective. They they are interested in it because they know somebody made a lot of money from it, and then the, and then they start learning about it. And so I was that I'm very hopeful that I'm hopeful of two things. I'm hopeful that the that the people that got in early in El Salvador are really going to benefit uh, from the next having cycle, and that other countries are going to see that, and it's going to be a huge vindication for El Salvador. Right now, you know, you've got a lot of pressure from like the IMF, et cetera. They were trying to make countries uh, back away from Bitcoin, uh, and but. You know, it's if, if Bitcoin just explodes in value next year and goes up to a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars a coin, it's going to be undeniable, and that's the sort of thing people are going to notice. So uh, I'm really, I'm I really think, optimistic you know, that'll be the case. I think these bear markets have been for builders, you know, and like um, at the end of the day, that's uh, that's good. That's you know, I I have fantastic. seen I have seen like because I use Lightning like. Pretty much, you know, almost more than the average person would certainly not not only in El Salvador, but like in, in general, more than the average Bitcoiner even. So I've seen how far a lot of these things have come from, uh, have come in the well, building them in the bear market. Um, and most people have not even tried it. Like a lot of people, like I, even on Twitter, you know, I see it all the time. Like, uh, you know, Bitcoin cannot be used for coffee payments because it's too slow or it's too expensive. I see you chime in all the time and say, we accept it. And we take yeah. it, you know, and it's not only that, but it's like lightning has come so far uh, during like this whole time. And I've seen like the wallet, like just like on the while well, using the wallets, like the same wallets have gone most of them, anyways, with with notable exceptions. But most of them have gone so far, and like you see so much progress in like the whole thing. Like at the start, at the very start, they had sometimes issues with like payments not routing, you know, with Lightning. And they used to tell you, oh, Lightning is good for like very tiny payments, but if you want to do anything over a hundred dollars or whatever you know you gotta go a wine chain because you don't know if you're gonna find the channel or you know that kind of thing like a lot of that has been solved um i think the i've done lightning payments from like one satoshi to like over you know over 1500 bucks you know in lightning and wow. they've all worked like uh, I, I haven't had a failed lightning payment in I don't even know, like probably over a year at this point. And I've seen just how far and how fast like it's it's moving to um and a lot of the other random little developments here and there. Like let me show you here. I have a have on my wall one of those lightning NFC cards. This is made by a company called Tianki, which you paid with Tianki, you know, if you've used our website, uh, or if I sent you ever like a payment link on, on you know on Twitter DMs which is like a payment processor that we use, the Salvadoran company. But this allows me, you know, to go like a lot of places, really anywhere, who, anyone who has a wallet and an NFC enabled phone, which at the end of the day is most phones nowadays, you know, they need an internet connection, but I don't need, I don't need one. I just have my sats here preloaded on my card um, and, you know, just tap to pay and it works. Uh, a lot of people would argue like it's gimmicky at first, but there's like real use cases for this. Like I know people who are living here 
that have given these to their kids as kind of like you know pocket spending money for like um different things like um there's like the bitcoin um, farmers markets that are going on you know sometimes here in the city but most of the they're at the beach um and you know people give their kids like these cards okay you have you know, 20 dollars worth of bitcoin in them you know like and they go to different vendors oh i want you know this or that and beep, they just scan it and it works and um like there's been so much you know progress uh going on i'm actually part of like this video that we did on adopting bitcoin last year i don't know if you ever saw that one but um michael michael sailor actually retweeted that video um back then but it was like with the coin corner team using the bolt card which we did like a lightning um like a little lightning wheel if you will like someone different wallets different methods nfc cards some of them were like lightning network urls which are those like email looking addresses and um essentially we did this live um lasted for like a minute and a half and you had one person sending lightning you know they're, they're all sending like five, i think it was five dollars and they were all sending it to each other okay i'm gonna scan you i'm gonna tap you then the next one i'm gonna send it to your lightning network url and eventually it got to uh, Joe Nakamoto, who was with me at the kiosk uh, during adopting Bitcoin last year. And um, he used, I believe he used his, um, you know, like his iWatch, his Apple watch or something to boop, scan to pay at the end. And I was all paying for like a coffee, um, using all different wallets, using all different methods, just showing how the whole ecosystem worked. And um it was like, you know, the same sats went between like eight or nine people, um, all live, all within like a minute and a half between borders, between country, between, you know, it was crazy because um, they were all, um, they were, we were all doing this on Zoom. They were all in the UK happening, except like Joe Nakamoto who was like during adopting Bitcoin. He was like at the kiosk just to do the, the final payment for coffee. But it shows you just how interoperative this thing is. And um, just how better than like the traditional um, legacy systems are, because like a lot of people are, you know, I always tell them they're under the impression that because they grab their beast, because people would argue, oh, how is that different from my debit card, you know, or my credit card? And I'll tell them, you know, you do realize that when it beeps, you know, at the POS system, you know, you grab your visa and you go to the supermarket or whatever, and it beeps. It's not like the supermarket has the money, you know, um, when it beeps. Whereas with Lightning, it does, you know, once it beeps, you have the sats, I can do with it whatever I want. Like people think they come here with a Visa or an American Express or whatever, and when it beeps on my machine, oh, it's paid. You know, it's not really paid. It's just like for the people who don't know this, it's it's not really paid. Um, I just have, once it beeps, what I get is a reasonable, how do I put this? I get a reasonable expectation that the funds are going to be deposited to my account tomorrow in the next couple of days, right? right? To my bank account in the next couple of days. And that's why you get to walk away with a coffee. But I don't get to see that money uh, for a while. I'm trusting that Visa, you know, once it beeps, I know the account's been authorized and whatnot. But I cannot use that money to go pay, you know, my paper cup supplier to whoever you know to give you an idea i cannot use that money right now i have to wait usually like a day or two um to get it and i'm gonna have to pay you know the bank uh here it's about three and a half percent um plus taxes well we so close to four percent what we pay for the transaction fee 
So, you know, if you're buying like a $2 coffee or whatever it might be, you know, it's 10 cents, whatever, 10 cents of those goes to the bank, right? And um, I'm not getting that money for like, usually between 24 and 48 hours. Luckily here, chargebacks are not a problem. Um, thankfully, it, they're not really a thing, but I've heard, uh, I've heard from a lot of other small businesses in the States mm -hmm. that they're like a big deal. And they charge uh, you like a $150 fine for having a chargeback in addition to losing the sale. So yeah, which is, which is luckily, again, luckily here, it's not a, it's not a thing. Let's hope it's, it doesn't become one. Um, but it yeah, won't ever it, become one with Bitcoin. So that's. Yeah, it won't ever become yeah. one with Bitcoin, right? Once it's settled, it's settled um but like that's the whole thing you know imagine doing what we were doing those with the cards and with the lightning every url uh where all the wallets were empty and it was like just the original you know five dollars and satoshis moving through how long would that have taken with a card which i, I think is what people don't see it oh well, sending each you know you you're gonna have at least a 24-hour wait period between each of them and we did like eight or nine transactions so you know a week and a half later um joe nakamoto would have been able to buy his coffee as opposed to like 90 seconds later and once i get the money i didn't have to wait you know i could go and and, and spend it at, i could pay my power bill or my cell phone bill or whatever you know um or save it um you know it's like you mentioned you do the dollar cost averaging wednesdays like that's what like i do personally with like the whole bitcoin thing at the store um if you think about it that way it's like my way of dollar cost averaging you know i get bitcoin sales and uh, i keep those sats um and uh, that's like my my way of saving through them but i also keep like the circular economy going as much as i can um not everywhere i cannot pay with bitcoin for everything and i do realize like a lot of the things that i might pay with bitcoin like at least for now they're probably going to be converted to dollars at one point or another um but I, I i i have different suppliers that i'm trying to to like grow the whole circular economy as much as i possibly can because i know like by spending my sats i actually you know get more sats end up staying in the system that way and there's more people that eventually are going to see the value of it um, maybe they're not gonna they're maybe the first time they get paid with them they're going to convert them right in, into dollars um, but eventually by spending the sats i'm actually you know helping make more bitcoiners if you will exactly how much of your of your coffee sales are in bitcoin i'm assuming probably the bulk of your online sales but uh the bulk of the online sales yes so online i would say it's 95 percent in bitcoin uh we can pay with a credit card as well um here in in the store it's it's very it's a very different situation um because i do have you know I, I have like bitcoiners that comes here to the store every day most of them do pay with card and not necessarily bitcoin so that's something to um to consider but online store yeah i would say the bulk of it is in bitcoin um 95 of what we get is in bitcoin and all, all of that has been on lightning i think i've done like maybe like two on-chain transactions with someone who wanted it i'm fine with it you know um but um yeah it's like the bulk of it's been lightning and um online it's basically like 95 i love supporting your business with Bitcoin and supporting El Salvador with Bitcoin. But even, you know, even, even me, the majority of, uh, I'm, I'm reticent, hesitant to spend Bitcoin because I know the halvings right around the corner 
and it's gonna uh, it's gonna hopefully radically increase in value. So it's kind of like I when you look back States, at pizza day. Yeah, but I think in the but if, if there was no pizza day, you know, if Laszlo had not spent those bitcoins, we probably wouldn't even be having this conversation. Exactly. Like a lot of people make fun of this guy for doing that, but um, they never tell you like he never regretted doing it. You know, like he he had a a part to play and he did it. And at that point, you know, that's why we say always like spend and replace. Um, or, you know, if you're in the States, you have strike and similar, or even cash app, you have, uh, ways to pay in Bitcoin that, um, cause a lot of the times people I see, they have this concern with like capital gains taxes and it's, I'm creating a taxable event by buying coffee in Bitcoin. And I think you use strike, right? Um, I use strike. Yeah. yeah, which which allows you to like use your fiat to buy Bitcoin for the good beans, if you want to look at it that way, as opposed to spending your own little personal stack um, and not creating, you know, a taxable event. Because at the end of the day, you're just you're kind of like you're not paying them in Bitcoin. You're not spending Bitcoin. You're spending dollars to buy Bitcoin for someone else. You know, exactly. So, so I thought it's semantics, right? But it's it's. I it thought of it like spin home. and replace. Like I was buying yeah. Bitcoin and getting rid of it, but uh, and buying Bitcoin and immediately purchasing coffee with it, but without that capital gains mm -hmm. uh, nightmare. So yeah, Strike is a great cheat if it's available wherever you are. Uh, I think it's available to almost everybody in the United States. Says like New York has some. Yeah, New York. Tools. I think you can't, but um, you have Cash App, which like a lot of people have Cash App, and most people don't realize. Yeah, you can scan a Lightning QR code with your Cash App and. Uh, it will work um, as always, you know, like I tell like the main thing, I guess, is um, there are different ways um, and it, it becomes easier and easier all the time because um, what's the alternative? Okay. You can go to the goodbeans.com and you can buy it with your credit card. Sure. And you can give, uh, you can give all your information and put your, <laughs> you know, and fill, um, spend five minutes filling the Spanish form. Cause for whatever reason, the bank here, only takes you know like i i joke and i i even have an faq on the website explaining you how to fill like a credit card payment form because the bank only provides that in spanish and at the end of the day i'm tied to the bank in el salvador to do this right so i read um, that on your website or you can scan a little qr code <laughs> i'm assuming a lot of browsers will translate that for anybody that would, that would be worried about that though um you know like Chrome, I think will translate to English for you. I haven't tried because I mean, I figure what's the point? If I'm buying coffee from you, I want to pay in Bitcoin. Um, and speaking of Salvador and coffee, you know, I'd heard a lot about it. Uh, I'd really wanted to try it for a long time before I ordered from you. I'd never had it. My mm -hmm. favorite coffee before ordering from you was always uh, Kona Peaberry coffee. Uh, it's the place I get it from is uh, it's on the side of a volcano at high altitude. Uh, and these are all things that seem to me similar to El Salvador. Uh, you've got a similar latitude. Uh, you've got volcanic soil. So I assumed that um, that the coffee in El Salvador would be very similar to to the the Hawaiian to the uh, the Kona coffee. And in some ways it is, but it's also very distinctly unique. Uh, it was amazing. I mean, it's it's now my favorite coffee. I haven't had anything but but uh, one at home. I haven't fixed anything but your coffee since I started buying from you. Uh, and I drink my coffee black. I usually don't put anything in it. So I really appreciate, you know, a good quality coffee. If it, you know, if you're going to dump a bunch of, kind of a French vanilla creamer in it, it can be almost anything, right? Uh, and there's some, there's some tremendous health benefits from drinking coffee. Uh, it, it's really high in antioxidants. 
for people that have diabetes, if they drink it without sugar or creamer, it, 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 it helps allegedly, I've been told anyway, helps regulate your blood sugar. And I've noticed that if sometimes if I don't have breakfast, but I grab a cup of black coffee in the morning, I can go all day and not feel hungry. So uh, it's really nice to be able to drink a quality coffee. And apparently, unbeknownst to most Americans, El Salvador has a, a really rich history in coffee, no pun intended. Uh, what is the history of the coffee industry in El Salvador? So El Salvador, uh, I guess like a lot of Latin American countries um, for the past, um, in agriculture anyways, it's kind of like always had like a little cash crop. Um, coffee played its like big part in the history in like the 1900s, like most of the 1900s. Um, so coffee came to El Salvador at the, you know, it's it's hard to pinpoint exactly when, um, but sometime in the early 1800s to mid-1800s, coffee found its way to El Salvador because coffee is, is not from here. Um, so coffee is, um, you know, it's basically a, a Middle Eastern um, crop, you know, and like um, the northern part of Africa, like that whole area. But um, it started, you know, going worldwide in the... Um, a lot of times in like the 1700s to the 1800s. Um, so coffee here, you know, th there might have been some plants before, um, but really as a big uh, plantation, um, you know, big coffee farms and everything, it started in the sometime in the mid 1800s to the very early 1900s. That that's like the when the history remounts here to to Salvador going coffee. Um, one of the, uh, in the 1860s, there's a president Barrios who um, wanted to grow like the, the whole coffee industry. And uh, and they gave a lot of like tax benefits, like if you were to grow coffee, because um, back then it was a crop that was very, very valuable, um, which is not really like the case. Like I like to joke sometimes that uh, say green coffee, um, <laughs> Green coffee is like the only commodity, it seems, in the world that has not suffered from inflation. Um, green coffee right now is worth about the same per pound as it was in the 1970s, like in nominal terms. Um, but, you know, the dollar is nothing like what it was in the, <laughs> in the 1970s, right? Um, so a lot of things have had to be cut. El Salvador's coffee, uh, I guess it's, it's like heyday was probably like the whole... 20th century um that was gonna be my so next question but um yeah i was gonna say has the uh has the coffee trade been consistent or is there a, a resurgence no, no, no. or a renaissance it's it's different now like look I'm, I'm i'm here at the coffee shop right now to give you an idea like that's a postcard from a uh, post the stamp uh it's been like blown up it's like from the 1930s from like el salvador airmail that said, you know, Salvador's coffee is like the best in the world. And it shows like this coffee plant. Um, it's just decoration now. It used to be like a little post stamp. But um, El Salvador's coffee was like the biggest part of the economy between like the 1920s and like the 1960s. Uh, that's like to give you an idea. Um, we used to be like in the very early 70s. That's when it peaked. And El Salvador used to be like the fourth largest coffee producer in the world. Uh, El Salvador is tiny, to give you an idea. I mean, El Salvador is about uh, the size of Massachusetts. Um, so it's a small, a very small country. I mean, you're from Florida, basically, 
you can probably find like count a couple counties in Florida that are larger than El Salvador in total, right? So exactly. this tiny little country used to produce like so much coffee back when it was like worth a lot of money, like um, in the seventies. And like I've heard the story from like my dad. Like he said, like if you had a cup, you know, you had, if you had a few acres of coffee, you could support a family with that. You know, and, uh, you know, each time, you know, a few bags, um, like you have the, the coffee sacks here, the, the, like 100 pounds. Um, right now, they're plastic. You know, back then, it used to be like hemp, essentially. Um, but um, they're like 100 pounds of coffee. If you had a few of those, you know, three or four of those, you could buy a car. Wow. Yeah. Three or four of those won't even buy you an iPhone nowadays, you know, to to give you an idea, let alone a car. Um, so the value of the actual crop uh, went lower and lower and lower uh, with time. Um, so like, and then we had the Civil War and everything, right? So the whole industry in El Salvador for coffee, it ended up um, going significantly down during those years. It used to be at one point represent over half of the GDP of the country. Right now, it's about 5%. Um, and um, it's mostly, nowadays, it's different, you know. So it had, it went really down during the whole 80s and 90s um, because of low prices and the war, low international commodity prices and the, and the war and everything. Uh, right now, it's it's been mostly focused on quality as opposed to quantity. We, we realize we're never going to be the fourth largest coffee producer in the world anymore. We can still I make wouldn't hold your breath. It can happen. Coffees, but we can still make some of the best coffees in the world. Like right now, it's been focused so much more on quality over quantity. Whereas before, like the whole specialty coffee thing, it started like it was always good coffee, you know, but there was really not a difference between like, like people in the 80s were not looking for different varieties. Um, people in the 70s, 60s, they were not looking, oh, okay, this is bourbon coffee, this is geisha coffee. Simply not a thing. It was like all divided by like geographic area. And uh, right now, like, but, but El Salvador was one, you know, it was like a market. Okay, this is Salvadoran coffee. It's worth so much uh, percentage over like any regular coffee in the world, to give you an idea. Um, but right now it's, it's, like goes down to like each individual farm which it didn't back then like for us for instance it's Via España that's the farm we we work with and um it's it's a farm that's been in business since 1867 uh to give you an idea it's run right now by Alfredo Mena who's like the sixth generation uh owner of the farm I met him because we went to elementary school together <laughs> to give you an idea but um, it's been six generations of like um, coffee growing, coffee farming, coffee processing and exporting. So they've learned a thing or two over the past 150 years, right? Ever since his like um, great, great grandfather, Aris Mena, came over from Spain. Because um, a lot of times um, that's, that's how a lot of these like farms and, and the whole story started. Um, right now, it's mostly focused on quality over quantity um there's been changes and you know like in every country there's been changes in laws changes and and like different incentives and, and types of things to grow um so i don't see us becoming you know like i told you like a very massive exporter in terms of quantity nor would i care to be because i'd rather us like do keep doing what we're doing now 
growing it, obviously, but focusing on quality over quantity. Because there's enough cheap coffee coming from like Brazil and Vietnam, which are like the main markets. They're all like sun grown. Here are all the coffee shade grown. Um, to give you an idea on how it works is like here, all of our coffees, for instance, and most of the expert coffee in El Salvador, they're called corte gourmet, which means gourmet cuttings. So if you have the coffee plant here, they don't all mature at the same rate. They don't all ripen at the same rate. So you have to send someone, you know, by hand, picking all the beans once they're ripe. Um, if you are, for example, in Brazil, just looking at whatever goes on, you know, on your Folgers or, or your Maxwell house, uh, there's machines that just shake the tree and everything drops. And then you just collect it, you know. And uh, if there's, you know, there's unripe berries there, so be it. Uh, there is uh, pieces of branches, leaves, whatever falls down from the tree is collected. It's ground up. It's well, it's roasted. It's ground up. It's brewed. Turned into instant coffee, right? Um, if you want to guarantee quality, I mean, just look at the beans. You know, you grab a bag from wherever origin you want. You open it. Just look at the beans, but actually look at them. And that's why I tell people buy whole bean because you cannot hide anything from whole bean. Um, if the beans have little holes in them, that might be insect damage, you know, if they're all brittle and they have broken, generally speaking, it's because they were green when they were roasted. So if they're not like whole, nice, beautiful, um, you can tell a lot just by looking at them. And whenever you're buying ground coffee at the supermarket, that's all hidden. You can't, you have no idea what went, what went into that bag, right? So your beans are beautiful. I posted a picture on Twitter that <laughs> I, I was measuring it out of my grinder and I was like, I snapped a photo. It was like art. I'd, I'd blow that up to a poster and put it on my wall. The, 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 <laughs> the, you know, it's, depending on the roast, some of them have a little bit of the oily sheen. Uh, the ones I was yeah, grinding yeah. up that morning had like a nice, like a, a nice tanned leathery finish to them. They're gorgeous. Yeah, uh, I, I remember you compared them to a Cuban, a Cuban cigar, right? <laughs> that's it. it so if, if if people are cigar aficionados, it, it's weird because you can grow tobacco. I mean, they grow tobacco in the United States. You can grow it almost anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, Cuba is like the only place in the world where they grow the binder, the filler, and the wrapper all in one location, and you can tell the difference. I mean, you you think you you couldn't, and maybe someone who has never smoked a cigar before might not notice the difference. But uh, a Cuban cigar just looks different. The 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 wrapper, you know, it depends on the season as well, but it's just got a nice leathery earthiness to it. Yeah, the beans reminded me of that. That was that was really cool. So. They're, they're a lot of what you taste is like the coffee processing and the, not only the bean but how it's treated afterwards because you know like we could go on and, and a long time and i can explain to you how how it goes but um ever since the beans are picked that's not where the process ends there's a lot of other steps that um that happen between you getting them and um you know that's it's all like that's the main thing it's all like naturally done um we don't um it's all artisanally done and it's using processes that the, the farmers and the growers here have learned over the last 150 years how to get the best uh, the best quality out of them. It's not an industrial process where, you know, the plants are not shaken and everything that falls out just gets roasted and ground up. Because um, that's a, sadly a lot of the, most of the coffee market in the world is that way. You know, when, when you get in the Keurig capsules, it's not not premium coffee because it doesn't need to be um and um it's all gone so far downhill in order to make it as cheap as possible um in the world that uh, 
that I think it's 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 about time to focus again on on quality and on giving you a good product that that's like like you mentioned it can even be good for your health um, at the very least it's not going to be detrimental to your health and it's going to be delicious and a great start to your morning and it's going to be a testament to all the people who worked um during it during the whole process ever since the coffee was planted to you know you in the morning grinding it up making it for yourself um moving back to to you know bringing bringing the art to to coffee again and uh, making sure you know you get the best the best taste in coffee and the best experience in the morning as opposed to something that is so mass produced just with the whole mentality of well, let's make it as cheap as we can and as profitable as we can which is sadly not only coffee but most things in the world today are like that right yeah i think you've got a great fit with with bitcoiners that's one of the kind of the magical things is most bitcoiners proof of work and coffee <laughs> proof of work and coffee you know and they 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 appreciate the artisanal aspects and the quality, you know, especially if you're going to spend your Bitcoin, you want, you want to get the best product possible for your Satoshis. So I think that's just a fantastic fit. Uh, I'm assuming that's just going to go, I mean, I'm assuming you're, you're doing very well and you're going to just continue to keep doing better and better. Uh, I have recommended to everybody I know to try your coffee. A friend of mine, he only drinks coffee from a specific farm in like Kenya. And I'm, I'm going to buy him a bag and ship it to him because I don't think he's ever gotten around to ordering from you and he's not a bitcoiner i can't convince him i've been trying to orange pill him for years but uh uh it only took me about a week i think i last time i ordered from you i was gonna be out of town so i waited because the coffee gets here so fast i don't know if it's just easier to get shipped to florida because it you know just florida is probably the fastest one but um you know even if you're in anywhere else like anywhere else anywhere in the states it usually takes 10 to 12 days but um, I order coffee a little Hawaii, faster. Mm-hmm. It takes longer. I mean, it, it, it literally, if I order, <laughs> even if I order, like, uh, even if you were to order through like Amazon where they guarantee you like the next day, that doesn't apply to like Hawaii. They, it just takes longer. And, um, you know, it can, it takes like 10 days to get, uh, to get Kona coffee shipped to Florida. Of course, we're the no, opposite it's, side it's of the country, crazy because but... like a lot of people w- wouldn't realize it, but we are significantly closer to the States than, than Hawaii is, right? I mean, yeah. a flight between San Salvador and Miami is about a two and a half hour flight. You know, it's not not no not different from going from Miami to like Houston or something. That's what I was um, thinking. It's like, like yeah. I flew to Phoenix the other day, and I think I flew further. I definitely flew further. It's four <laughs> hours. So that's really cool. Um, so when Americans think of coffee, they normally think geographically. They don't. They think, well, this is Colombian coffee, or this is mm-hmm. Kona coffee, or this is you know Kenyan coffee, or whatever. Um, El Salvador, as you mentioned, is a small country but are there still geographically different regions or is pretty much all the oh, coffee yeah. just high altitude shade grown look pretty much all the coffee is high altitude shade grown everything that gets exported anyways obviously they are um even in the best farms not all the coffee is going to be the best quality um you know it's a natural product so at the end of the day it's always like a bell curve right um with anything really um, you're going to get just as much amazing coffee as you're going to get relatively poor coffee from a farm. But that's where the whole processing and the sorting comes in. Um, not all the coffees from Via España get to be in this little bag. You know, um, we we reserve like and we only ship like basically the the best that we can offer. Um, um, but there are coffees for everything. You know, some of the coffees in uh, from this particular farm do end up in uh, cheaper blends at the supermarket here in El Salvador. You know, that are like four or five dollars a pound blended with like a lot of other stuff. Um, but that's like like with every natural product, really, 
Um, but what we can tell you is like we we select and we sort like the best that the farms have to offer. Um, and I like to people to think of coffee like they think of wine. You know, if you went into the you know if you went to the supermarket to the liquor store or whatever and you want to get a bottle of champagne and they just said you know wine, France, that's <laughs> it. You know, it, it, a bottle that just says wine of France. Uh, you might want a little bit more information than that. You know, you might okay. What what grape is it? Maybe where in France it was grown, um, or if, like if you just went you know and. I guess the same with like a lot of things, but you know, you you buy a bottle of wine from California, you want to know maybe, oh, was this from Napa Valley? Is this a Chardonnay? If it just says white wine grown in the United States, you would go like, you know, I kind of want a little bit more information <laughs> than that, you know. So it's like the same with coffee, even Colombian coffee, you know, you have so much variety. And Colombia is such a massive country compared to El Salvador. Um, but with each farm, you have different techniques. With each coffee, you have different processing methods, different varieties. Um, and they all play a part on how like the end product tastes. At the end of the day, you know, you can do a blindfold tasting and you can tell, oh, is it white wine or is it red wine? And sure. Um, but you can tell so much more than that um, just by make, how you make it and how, how like the whole coffee is. So I'd like people to think of it as, as that way as they think of wine there's like you know there's the very basics but you can learn so much more and it can go so much deeper um just like wine or with like any like natural product in that way you know even the season how much sun it had that year everything is going to play a part everything is pretty much going to play a part i've ordered your bold roast your dark roast the torgos and the uh via spania saturanus how do you pronounce that Saturninus. Saturninus. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether my favorite has been the Saturninus or the uh, Torgos. Uh, so uh, <laughs> what is the difference in those varieties? So, um, so the Torgos is the same. Um, we just rebranded it, right? Uh, it was the same as the Saturninus. That's why I can't tell the difference. Um, so, so we just rebranded that one. Um, having said that, um, the, the, with the bold, uh, the difference is just it's the same exact bean. It's just a roast. Some people like a darker roast. What's a darker roast going to give you? A more chocolatey taste. It's going to be less acidic, more bitter. A lot of people do like those bitter notes. Um, and it's a darker roast without going into the super ridiculously dark Starbucks type coffee, you know, that it's like just obscenely dark. Because <laughs> um, at the end of the day, uh, it's like making caramel, you know. Uh, you start with sugar and water and you heat it up and it gets sweeter and richer and nicer until it burns. And once it burns, you know, whatever you do, you cannot bring it back. Um so with the roast is basically with the Torogos and the Mapache, it's just the roast level that changes for some people who like a darker roast versus a more medium roast. Um, with all the other ones that we have, we do have different uh, varieties. Uh, right now, they're all from the same farm. Um, we have, uh, for instance, right now we have a Pacamara and we also have a Gesha, uh, which will give you totally different experiences in flavor from, from like the other ones. Like for example, the Geisha is very much like a more a lot more floral sweet coffee. It tastes very different. 
than um, than any of our main varieties would. Um, and those are like our limited editions. We change those all the time for the Saturnin, for the well, for the Torogos and the and the Mapache. We try to keep those all year, and for the most part, we we have it in stock all the time. Uh, we roast all the time as well. We we're roasting usually every weekend or two tops. So, you know, you're always getting a, a pretty fresh coffee. Um, compare that to, to, you know, a supermarket coffee, which was probably roasted six to nine months before you actually pick it off the shelf. To like give you an idea. Hours, you could have it on your door, you know, anywhere from like a week and a half to three weeks after it's been roasted, which is perfectly fresh and fine for really 99% of, uh, of anything that you're going to want to do um, with the coffee. So, you know, that's like the main thing. It changes like the roast level between the Torgos and the Mapache, but it's the same exact bean. And with the limited editions, we have like a description of all the flavor profiles and everything you can find on each one of them. Um, but those are going to be like the, the more different um, out there coffees. Because in the coffee world, you know, the weirder your coffee is, like, there's, you know, there's good weird and bad weird, obviously, but the good weirder your coffee is, um, the more points it gets, and the more points it gets, basically, the the more valuable it is per pound, um, because it's very easy to make, you know, generic tasting coffee that tastes like, like, you know, like, like it came out of a Keurig, or, you know, it's a very, very generic tasting coffee, um, but the, the more you work at it, the more you can get the, the, the subtle flavors and the more you take care of the plant and the different varieties and everything. Same with grapes. You know, you can get that generic white wine or red wine taste fairly easily. Um, but um, the more, you know, the more, the, the nicer the grape and the better the processing and the better the roasting, everything, you can get a lot of subtle flavors and a lot of different experiences in, in coffee. Um, just the same as you would with, with wine. I was going to ask you uh, about that. Um, all the descriptions are on the, uh, on the, on the website and, and, uh, your website is, uh, it's, it's thegoodbeans.sv. No, thegoodbeans.com.com. Okay. Goodbeans.sv, that's to like our Instagram. All right. But, yeah. It's the, right the, now it's the goodbeans.com. The first time I ordered on your website, it was, I don't think it was launched to the public yet. It was. Yeah, yeah, it was, we were, so, so we had like a little website that just told you to contact me on Twitter or to fill a form. Um, that's how it started, the whole shipping thing. Right now, it's like a whole Shopify integrated. You can do it yourself at whatever time, you know, and you can pay with card or you can pay with Bitcoin and it does it all for you. It calculates the shipping wherever you are in the world. Um, I recommend most people grab our, um, our like four packs. Because that that's like the or order four separate pounds, because that's gonna give you the better shipping deal. Um, in four pound increments, uh, that's how you're gonna get the best, uh, you know, the best deal with shipping. Because at the end of the day, the cost of shipping uh, tends to be uh, more than depending on the destination, more than even the actual coffee. It was about half and uh, half. I, I usually order two pounds at a time, and it was about the same for the shipping as it was for the coffee. But if you go with like the a four bit. Since if, you I first with, ordered. if you go with like the four pounds, that's what gives you the best deal. Right now we have, uh, like for instance, the Mapache, we have the four pound pack shipped to the States or Canada for 
um, $75, which comes to about 18, I think it's 1874 a pound. That's amazing. Uh, already including shipping already with everything. So I think that's, I, that's probably the lowest we've had uh, already with the shipping and everything included. Um, but yeah, we, we try to keep, you know, the costs down uh, as, as much as possible. Oh, it, it's a fantastic deal, especially for the quality. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen Kona coffee out there for $80 a pound, just $80 a pound. And you can get four pounds of coffee shipped to the United States for like 75 bucks on yeah. your website right now. So that's, <laughs> that's insane. And uh, plebs order that coffee as fast as you can, because I guarantee it's going to get more expensive as it gets more popular. I mean, you're a small country. You can only produce so much and uh, it's on par. It's on par with, with coffee. I've paid a heck of a lot more for. So that's um, awesome. Um, but for those people who have never had um, El Salvador and coffee, I know the, the the variety and the roast makes all the difference in the world. But is there one characteristic that stands out that like like that? For example, I was talking about Cuban cigars. Cuban cigars usually yeah. there's just there's just an earthy is the only way I can describe it flavor to them. They're like you know that's a Cuban cigar. It just it's right off the bat, boom! This is Cuban tobacco. Is there a signature flavor to Salvador and coffee, or is it just coffee so bold that it all has to do with the roast? Look, um, if you go to like a medium roast, I think like the main uh, characteristics of a Salvador and coffee would be in general, and this is very general terms. You have a malic acidity. So in acidity, you have um, different levels of acidity and different types. We call it a malic uh, acid type acidity. Um, which is basically characteristic of the volcanic soils and the high-grown, shade-grown coffee. What's the malic acid? Uh, think apples. Um, you get that. Um, and you have this malic acidity balanced with like a very rich sweetness. So think brown sugar apples. It, it sounds like, I, I sometimes like to tell apple pie qualities to that coffee, uh, which is kind of weird. Uh, as opposed to some other destinations, we're going to have a very more citric type acidity. So think limes, uh, you know, more tart coffees, more bitter coffees. El Salvador coffees tend to have a mild uh, malic type apple type acidity. And they tend to have like uh, sweet chocolatey, um, chocolatey tastes. Um, having said that, that's like a very general description for everything, and it's going to vary with each roast and vary with each farm. But in general, the, that's what it shares with Hawaii. So, uh, Hawaii, I think, like the main difference is that you also get these salt uh, water from the ocean blowing, mm, yeah. which creates a different kind of microclimate. Mm -hmm. uh, but in general, those tannins. volcanic soils, yeah, those volcanic soils, they um, they tend to give that and the, the processing of the coffee. Um, most coffees in El Salvador either natural processed or semi-washed as opposed to full washed coffees, um, which, you know, we could get into the the whole differences on that. But that also lends to a certain fruitiness, a certain sweetness. They have good body. Uh, they're not very tea-like. Like even the Gesha, which is a variety that's very well known for being very light-bodied and very tea-like. Even in El Salvador, they're more heavy-bodied than that. And it's because of the volcanic soil and because of the microclimate and everything. So in general, you expect a, a cup that has good body. It has um, dark chocolate flavors and it has nice sweetness and a little bit of acid, but not something that's like, wow, super sour or super, because there's a lot of coffees that are very sour like that. Um, 
So those are, you know, different notes that you can expect in most Salvadoran coffees. But that's kind of like saying, you know, when General Howard wines in France, you know, it's, yeah, you can have a, a good idea, but each individual coffee, even from one farm to the next, can vary so much depending on how it's treated. Year to how, year. Uh, There's a year to year. Chianti that I like to, to, to drink when I'm having a red wine and, uh, like the 2017 was spectacular and I couldn't drink the 2018. 2019 was okay. Uh, so just the same, same grape, same, same vineyard, even year to year uh, makes a difference. Like you said, the, the amount of sunlight, the amount of rain. Uh, and speaking of the weather, I don't know how, I don't know how the next harvest is going to be. And it's kind of like, I guess a little bit scary in that sense because we've had a very weird weather season this year. We have El Nino right now, which for Central America, whenever there's El Nino going on, it means drought. So the first half of the rainy season, it didn't rain very much at all. Right now, it's kind of normalizing a little bit, thankfully. So we're getting more rains um, right now. But um, essentially, coffee, it makes coffee once a year. You plant the coffee tree and, you know, you wait four years for the first harvest and then you get one year, one annual harvest. But you have um, when it was when when this year was at the flowering stage, it was very, very dry compared to like a normal year. So I think the yields are going to be lower. And uh, again, you know, we will see how it goes with this particular harvest. At the very least, it's going to be I don't think it's going to be a great harvest just in terms of yield because of the, the amount of water that we had but the same thing with wine sometimes when the plants are struggling they make the better coffee so well, in terms of that. yield it might not be that great in terms of quality it might be even better um though you know we'll have to see how it plays out once once harvesting comes her harvest season is the very end of the year so um, between uh, December and uh, February that's kind of when their coffee is being harvested depending on the altitude Lower altitudes mature faster. So, you know, if it's a low altitude coffee, you might see it being harvested in November. Soon. Um, very soon. But the higher altitudes, they're usually around January. I mean, so it's a bummer. We'll that, know soon. Yeah, it's a bummer that there might not be enough to go around, but I'm excited to see how it affects the flavor. I grow chili peppers, and I know that if you, mm -hmm. if you, if you, uh, if you give them less water than they want, it really brings more out intense. the flavor and the, and the spice. Yeah. Uh, so... I'm looking forward to some of the best coffee. I mean, I love your coffee. If you were a customer just walking up the street into your shop, what would you order? What's your favorite coffee? How do you prepare it for yourself? Yeah, usually I'm I'm, I'm a kind of espresso type person because that allows me to taste, you know, the coffee at its strongest, if you will. Um, and espresso, it can tell you a lot about the coffee, but it also tells you like a lot about the actual coffee shop and what they're you know, with the good ones anyways, with the with the style, because you can you can pull up different flavors from even the same exact beans, depending on how you make them. But I'm personally more like an espresso type person. I because I like I don't necessarily like to drink like a ton of coffee. Um but I'm usually like either like an Americano or espresso. I don't I'm not a big milk coffee drinker. Um, maybe a cappuccino once in a while, but I don't know, milk, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big milk person in general. Um, so generally that's what I would order. Um, but most people, 
I would say the cappuccino is probably like the drink I sell the most in the store easily. Uh, most people do like uh, sweet coffee drinks, and that, that's fine. Um, but if you want to really taste the coffee, either one of the filter coffee methods uh, we would recommend, or you know, or just go to like an espresso or an americano um, without any sugar, without any milk, because that way you can taste the actual you know coffee. If you're ordering a latte. At the end of the day, the, the actual coffee that goes in it, it's not going to be, you know, that if you're ordering a pumpkin spice latte, it's not going to make that much of a difference on, one, on on how it tastes at the end of the day. Um, but with the other, you know, more uh, more concentrated coffee drinks, you can totally, you can totally tell, you know, the quality of the coffee just by trying it. What do you need to tell us about your business that I haven't asked you about, that we haven't spoken about yet? I guess if you, if any of your viewers are coming for like adopting Bitcoin this year, uh, we're not far. We're close to, or whenever anyone visits El Salvador, we're close to the Sheridan Hotel. We're close to the Barcelona Hotel. We're close to like a lot of places. Um, you can come here for breakfast, you know, enjoy a cup of coffee and enjoy a conversation. You can order online if you'd like to try it. Um, but I always love when people visit in the store and we we have a nice chat, so... Do visit El Salvador, you know, it's 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 safe and uh, there's a lot of things to do, especially if you're like a Bitcoiner. Um, don't expect to be able to pay with Bitcoin absolutely everywhere, but you can have good beans and you can like a lot of places and uh, you can have a really good time. Um, there's the new the Adopting Bitcoin conference and right now going on in November. Um, there's also Miss Universe going on. If anyone watches Miss Universe, is going to be in El Salvador again. The last time it was here was in 1975 um so you know yeah so it's, it's it's been a while um bob barker hosted that one believe it or not <laughs> yeah the price is wrong um, <laughs> so how do people you ship anywhere in the world basically right i mean i mean most places probably like not the way, north korea but yeah uh, what i tell people is if you trust your local because at the end of the day who is gonna end up delivering is not the Salvador mail it's your local post office right so as long as your local post office is competent, then yeah, I'll ship to you. Because um, there's some places that I have had bad experiences shipping. Um, sadly, Australia and New Zealand are places that I used to ship to and I don't anymore because wow. customs in Australia and New Zealand are a pain. Like if you order in the States, you know, you're just going to get your pound of coffee and that, that's not going to be a big deal. Or Canada... But Australia and New Zealand, I've seen customs destroy packages, and like, uh, like I have photos. It's 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 insane. Like someone grabbed with like a with like box a big cutter. knife, and they yeah. cut it like a box cutter. They cut it this way, and then they like stapled it here and stapled it that way, and then they sent it to the guy. And I'm like, you know, that's like, yeah. So Australia, New Zealand, don't advise you to order from there. But pretty much, if you have a anywhere in Europe or most places in Asia or states or Canada, it's it's perfectly fine. So yeah, I can say I, I'll ship anywhere really. I've never had anything opened that you've sent me. It's just arrived in the mail. Yeah, in the states, I don't think anyone has ever had a problem with customs. It's just arrived in the mail. Um, and ninety five percent of the packages I send are either to the states or Canada. Canada takes a little bit longer, but in general, in the states or Canada. They've been fine. Um, not a single parcel has gone lost yet, so that's good. Um, but yeah, you. When I was looking for a place, Zealand are the ones that I I tell people like I get people ordering and I tell them you know I don't know if it's gonna even make it there so, 
it's it's you know if you want to risk it sure i'll ship it but um but other than that it's been fine to literally every other destination i've ever sent coffee to i can definitely vouch for the united states at least florida uh on twitter your good beans at good beans the right the thus yeah. at the end yeah why that's oh but no no reason whenever we started the twitter gave us that address oh, okay so. I was it's just curious. Kind of like went with it. Yeah, no, it's it's it, it wasn't it wasn't intentional. It's just you know some Twitter gave us that address. So um, and I tried changing it a few times, and I, I the problem is whenever someone has tagged you, like I just live with it because like you can change it, but uh, any t any person that has tagged you before, they the the link gets broken and everything. So um, I was just wondering if there was an inside story there, like you know, if if you no. were if if you were in the encyclopedia, it'd be like good beans, comma the. Uh, <laughs> no, or, not really. Yeah. It, it just it, it just happened that way. I tried to add good beans, and already someone had it. Um, uh, but yeah, no, there's not really a story behind it, other than we haven't changed it because otherwise. Like everyone who has ever tagged us, that link would get broken. So at this point, we just kind of live with it. <laughs> and to order your coffee, it's thegoodbeans.com. Yes. The good right online. Uh, you can pay with Bitcoin, credit card. I recommend paying with Strike if you're in the United States, like what we mm -hmm. mentioned, so you don't have to deal with capital gains shenanigans. Uh, how, are those the best ways to, to follow you, to keep track of you, or, or, or how? Yeah, or, the, the other. Work? those are the english ones anyways at the end of the day we're a coffee shop in el salvador so um like pretty much all the other social media is in spanish well but almost got... half of my listeners are from latin america so yeah if you want to follow us on on like uh instagram is goodbeans.sv um and um on instagram that's that's basically like that's our main local uh social media so that one's not really focused on shipping or anything else. It's just like, you know, nice photos of coffee and like local promotions if you want to go come to the store. But um, um, but those are the main three. The English ones are the website and the Twitter, um, goodbeans.the or thegoodbeans.com and uh, goodbeans.sv on, on Instagram. Are you coming to the United States for any trade shows, anything like that anytime soon that you know of? I don't have any plans. I'm going to attend adopting Bitcoin here, so I'll be there. Uh, I'm the permissionless coffee guy because I always ask for um, last two years. I've tried to get a booth and they never answered. So I was <laughs> like, you know, whatever, I'll just deal from uh, my car. My <laughs> just deal from my car. Um, but um, I, I actually have planned to 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 have my permissionless coffee T-shirt. So I'll be wearing it at adopting Bitcoin. So if anyone's uh, attending the conference, you should, if you have a chance, come. It's, it's, I want it's to. I need. I have a. Uh, I have a few commitments here that that make it very hard to get away. Uh, I have a lot of things going on. I before COVID, I was running a small business that that got shut down, and we're trying to get started again. Uh, I have a very old dog. He, he's you know 13 years old, really old for a German Shepherd. Uh, so it's kind of hard to get someone to watch watch a dog. So when I get away. Uh, it's few and far between, but El Salvador is 100% on my checklist. And I'm going to have to book more time because I want to see your coffee shop. Uh, I want to go out to El Zante, just because I guess that's the Coin Beach. And I want to see, uh, I want, I'd want. i love to do one of the, one of the, one of the, uh, I mean, there's got to be a, a farm tour, a coffee, like a coffee, yeah. like a coffee trail where you can go to some of these, or at least to see the, um, the Via España estate. I don't know if they do tours or if that's something your shop can organize. 
Yeah, we can. I mean, we can do that. Uh, that's that's cool. Um, we also have like, you know, since you were interested in like Toros and uh, nature and all those things, um, on YouTube you can find uh, there's this documentary that just came out this year called I think it's called El Salvador Untamed. But if you put like El Salvador Nigel Marvin, that that documentary guy, the uh, poor man's Richard Attenborough. <laughs> um, but yeah, David Attenborough. Yeah, so there's this documentary and they show you around all these places and like nature in El Salvador. So check it out. El Salvador on Tame by Nigel Marvin. It's on, it's on YouTube and um, you can have uh, different a... ideas. And I always tell people just to put El Salvador travel on YouTube and you'll see so much like now people vlogging all the time and they, you know, they, they show you what they've done. So, um, so you can yeah, have a, an idea of what to do here. El Salvador that I was following and there's a lot of that uh, but it just doesn't it's just not the same as seeing it in person so oh, no, look, yeah. you, you mentioned it's go. an easy flight the problem is you got to either fly out of all the flights I've looked at are either out of Houston or Miami and I'm out of Central Florida like so Orlando would be the closest airport to me Orlando uh, so, you can you can fly from Orlando you can also fly from uh, Fort Lauderdale I guess with Florida the cheapest is either Spirit or Frontier yeah um, but most people look for like American American Airlines would fly out of Miami. Um, um, United would be Houston. Um, they but, had uh, weird layovers for me. Like you'd end up almost yeah. spending the night in Miami. Uh, Try Avianca. Avianca has like Avianca is like the Colombian airline, but it's like the, the main one that serves El Salvador because they bought up the El Salvador local airline about 15 years ago. Um, but Avianca has, uh, I don't know, just from Florida, maybe like a dozen flights a day. So do check it out, but you can it's get it from Orlando. Easy from Miami. Probably yeah, just from, easier from to Miami. Miami. Like, uh, and then Miami is like two hours. I, I'd do anything. I, I'd do anything to avoid Miami airport. So Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale, <laughs> and it's only an hour. I'm not an hour and forty five minutes from Fort Lauderdale. It's supposed to like two and a half to Miami. When you fly into San Salvador, how far are you from the airport that you mentioned? You're right down the street from the Sheraton. Yeah, yeah, so the airport is about 45 minutes from the city here, so it's not super close, but uh, uh, we're right by the by most of where the, all the hotels are, but the airport is, is, is about 45 minutes from us. Do most people book a, a hotel shuttle or an Uber or just a regular taxi? How, did, what's the, how do you get from the airport? Look, to- I think most people do an Uber or like a taxi. My advice, rent a car, because like the main thing is, like if you're only staying in San Salvador, it's fine to... Um, you know, it's really, it's really like not a big deal to like get Ubers to and from places. But uh, if you want to visit like the whole country, get a car because like, well, you can get an Uber from San Salvador to anywhere. It's very hard a lot of times to get one back. Um, and people tend to find out about that the hard way. Uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, rent renting a car is probably my best advice other than that you know if you're planning only to stay in san salvador and the libertad maybe up to el sante but yeah Uber is fine um but if you want to visit like the mayan ruins and you want to visit you know different areas in el salvador because at the end of the day you can drive end to end in about six hours so again small country but you can do a lot with like renting a car so that, that's my advice to anyone that comes in if you you know if you drive rent the car um, if not, you can get around with Uber, but it's going to be hard sometimes getting back from places or you're going to be limited on how much, uh, where you can go. Well, I let time get away from us. I've gone about a half an hour longer than I promised I'd keep you. Uh, 
So I apologize for that. But before we end this podcast, uh, what do you want? Uh, what do you want my listeners to know that I haven't asked you? You know, I don't know if uh, necessarily like I think we've covered a lot of things, but um, but I want them to visit. You know, not not visit the good beans, but visit El Salvador. Um, find out how it is now, um, and you know, I want the I want this country to grow. Uh, I want this country to grow. I want the best for uh, for my country, obviously. So, you know, I want I want people to get to talk about it. I, I I'm, I'm very happy when when we have visitors. I'm very happy when um, when people just tweet or you know they, they they talk about it in general. Like even a lot of people have been moving here from like a lot of different places. You necessarily have to move to El Salvador, but if you can visit, consider it for your next vacation. Um, considering visiting us if you if you are in El Salvador, and um, you know, telling people support El Salvador by buying Salvadoran products, whatever they might be. Go try, you know, if you're in the United States, there's a lot of Salvadorans in the states. You can maybe try try to find if you there's a pupuseria, which is like a local Salvadoran food near where you live, and try it out. Um, that's like that's like the main thing i just want to you know um help this country grow and put my little grain of sand and if, uh, if i can inspire someone to like visit all south or even try a pupusa which <laughs> is like the national um we national dish we don't have a pupuseria anywhere near here i guess maybe probably one in orlando it's about an hour and a half drive uh, where, where in florida are you in I'm in. I'm exactly the middle of Florida, north to south on the east coast. So Cocoa Beach and Cape Canaveral are. Okay. If you're looking at a map of Florida, uh, coming down the Atlantic coast, there's a little tiny triangle kind of in the middle that sticks out into the ocean. That's Cape Canaveral, and I'm we're right there. So and we're about an hour. Florida takes about two hours to drive across if you could go straight. So for me, it's about an hour to Orlando. That's dead center in the middle, and then another hour to Tampa. Well, they have, they have they have a. There's a great thing about pupusa. They freeze quite well, and you can pop them up on the toaster like they're pop tarts. <laughs> so if you if you find yourself in Orlando, you can buy a bunch and you know just stick them in your freezer. And that's good intel. Uh, <laughs> I found a pupusa truck in Albuquerque, New Mexico, of all places. It was at a. It was at. What was it? One of the brewing companies it wasn't Bosky. I think it was at Marble Brewing Company. They had a pupusa truck out front. Oh, jackpot! Craft beer and pupusas. But uh, I was on a diet, so I had to I had to behave. Well, I tried you. um I tried like a fifteen dollar pupusa Disney once. <laughs> oh jeez, yeah, uh, yeah. Epcot pupusas might not be it, but um, I, mean, I didn't know you could get pupusas at Epcot, and they've got the pyramid, the Mexican pyramid. But I didn't know there was a you can you can get them sometimes. I think it's like um yeah, it's it's like a seasonal thing. Best thing. Sure. Well, uh, and, and you, you probably have to pass a good Salvadoran restaurant uh, to get to Epcot anyway. Well, thank you very much for uh, for doing this. I've actually been wanting to ask you to do an interview for a long time, but uh, we don't do a lot of interviews. Normally, I just do my 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 monologue style show, and so uh, I wanted to wanted to have my game. I wanted to get my, improve my game a little bit before I asked you to do so. And then you reached out on Twitter asking for you know podcasts that. Yeah, because I've been doing this coffee. on Noster, but it never gets recorded. So yeah, so this will be recorded. Um, I. I will, it will, it'll be in audio form on all the audio podcast platforms and it'll be on video on Spotify. And I've got a YouTube channel that um, I haven't really used because I don't do a lot of video, but I'll, I can put it on YouTube probably as well. 
it's going to be a pretty big file, so I don't know uh, what the best way, if, if I wanted to get you a copy, I would be if you have anywhere you wanted to post it. but Or you could just link to it. Yeah, I'll just, on... I'll just link to it whenever you, you upload it on uh, Spotify or wherever the podcast platform. Because, yeah, I think it's going to gonna be a big video <laughs> yeah we're, we're an hour and a half in so well thank you very much for your time i cannot wait to uh i cannot wait to come visit your shop i i want to see uh, you're definitely on my i mean if people have put their list of all the things they want to visit when they're when they're in salvador and and believe it or not you're number one on that <laughs> list because uh you know i've seen mayan pyramids i haven't seen your mayan pyramids but i've seen mayan pyramids <laughs> i live on the beach so you know el zante will be different but it's the beach uh but I'm really excited about checking out your coffee. Uh, so, hey, well, thank, you very, much. thank you very right. much for joining us. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll hope Bye -bye. we have to do this again sometime because yeah. I'm sure I, I'm sure as soon as I hit stop, I'll remember something I forgot to ask you. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your time. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks.